0: The Secret Church Podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For the Secret Church 17 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC17. This is Secret Church 17, episode 6. Three questions down, two to go. Let's keep moving. Is the Bible divine or did humans create it? The Bible true? Can we trust it? Is the Bible clear? Can we understand it now? Is the Bible sufficient? Is it the only book we need? is it indeed holy meaning set apart from all other books in such a way there's no other book like it is this the holy bible or is it like other books are there other books that we need in order to know god this may seem pretty basic in light of all we've seen but this question is extremely important i appreciate what james montgomery boyce said in this this quote here inerrancy is not the most critical issue facing the church today the most serious issue i believe is the bible's sufficiency and Boyce is a part of the group that form- formulated that Chicago statement on inerrancy. So he believed inerrancy was important, but he knew sufficiency was just as, if not more important. So did John MacArthur, was also part of that Chicago statement. Listen to what he said, because if we're not careful, we can think, ah, oh, this is just a theological discussion that doesn't affect my life. If you think that, you are wrong. This has everything to do with how you live your life every day. Listen to MacArthur. Preoccupied with mystical encounters and emotional ecstasies, many people seek ongoing revelation from heaven. Meaning that for them, the Bible alone is simply not enough. With them, biblical revelation must be supplemented with personal words from God, supposed impressions from the Holy Spirit, other subjective religious experiences. That kind of thinking is an outright rejection of the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. It's a recipe for far-reaching theological disaster. If you're constantly looking for more revelation for God, for special words from God, feelings from God when it comes to what you need to do or how you need to live, then please listen to this truth concerning the sufficiency of Scripture. The Bible contains all we need in order to know and walk with God. All we need in order to know and walk with God. That's a huge statement. And I want to show you it's true. This is why God said, don't add to my word, don't take away from it, over and over again. Deuteronomy 4, a couple lines down, you shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it. Deuteronomy 12, everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do, you shall not add to it or take away from it. Why would God say that if he thought or knew we needed something else? We just read ago, a minute ago in Second Peter 1 that God has granted us to all things that pertain to life and godliness, which is why I love this quote from Thomas Watson, Puritan preacher, who said, the scripture is the library of the Holy Ghost. It's a pandect of divine knowledge, an exact model and platform of religion. The scripture contains in it the credenda, the things which we are to believe, and the agenda, the things which we are to practice. The library of the Holy Spirit. So think about the Bible's sufficiency on multiple levels. One, the Bible is sufficient for our salvation. The Bible tells us how we can be saved. I put Ephesians 2 in your notes because it's probably the clearest passage from start to finish in all the Bible about how we can be saved from our sins. So realize, especially if you are not a follower of Christ in this gathering here, wherever you are in the world, like this is how God in his word has said we can be saved from our sins. We realize we are a sinner before God. Ephesians 2 says we're dead in our sins and we deserve his judgment. At the same time, God is rich in mercy. He has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for our sin so that we can be saved from our sin, not based on what we do, but based on what he has done for us in his grace. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So how can you be saved from your sins, reconciled to God? Put your faith in the grace and love of God. Trust in what Jesus has done. For you, paying the price for your sin on a cross, rising in victory over sin and death from the grave. Put your faith in Jesus. He will forgive you of all your sins, reconcile you to himself to live forever with him. If you have never done that, I invite you, I urge you to do that tonight. This is the word of God saying, by grace through faith in Christ, you can be saved from your sin and reconciled to God forever. It's the Word of God. And faith like that, faith like that comes how? Romans 10, 17, from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. So the Word of God is sufficient to show you and me how to be saved from our sins. James talks about the implanted Word which is is able to save your souls. So the Bible is sufficient for our salvation, sufficient to bring us into relationship with God forever. And then, so take another step, the Bible is sufficient for our sanctification. We just read, and then referenced this, so God has given us everything we need to grow in godliness, and that, so follow, this is the purpose of the Bible. This is so big, so please follow along very closely with me here. The purpose of the Bible is not to answer every question we may ask or to provide direction for every situation we may face. And that may sound even heretical to some, like, whoa, wait a second. But, so people say the Bible answers all my questions, but that's not true. There are all kinds of questions the Bible doesn't answer. The Bible doesn't answer how to do calculus. <laughs> the Bible doesn't answer all kinds of questions we have about American history. America didn't exist at that point. Like, the Bible is not intended to answer every question we have. Likewise, the Bible doesn't provide direction for every situation we face. So we were talking about teenagers earlier. So what does the Bible say specifically about raising teenagers? Now sure, there's different principles we see in Scripture, but the Bible is not a parenting teenagers how-to book. Similarly, the Bible doesn't tell us everything about how to manage money or walk through grief or deal with divorce. Sure, there's principles we see in scripture that help us, but the Bible is not intended to be a money management how-to book, a grief recovery or divorce recovery book. The purpose of the Bible is not intended. It's not intended to answer every question we ask, provide direction for every situation we may face. Now, you might think, I thought you were trying to show us the Bible is sufficient. Seems like you're showing us it's insufficient. No, follow me. The purpose of the Bible is not these things, because if that's what its purpose was, then it would be insufficient. But the purpose of the Bible is something far better than those things. The purpose of the Bible is to conform us into the image of Christ. So we've hit on this uh, in some different ways, but I just wanted to put it together. Think about bookends in the Bible. So if you' think about the beginning and the end of the Bible. In the beginning, we start, God created the heavens and the earth. Man, we talked about this in the story of the Bible, Created in the image of God, perfect communion with God, but man, sin, God's image in man marred, and man in Genesis 3, cast out of God's presence in the garden. Then look at Genesis 3, the last part of that passage that I put in your notes, Genesis 3. The Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. So that's the beginning of the Bible. Think in bookends, that's the very beginning. Now, you jump to the end, jump to the end, the last two chapters of the Bible, and we see Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And look how heaven is described in Revelation 22. This is no coincidence. The angel showed me the river, of the water, of life, brightest crystal, flowing from the throne of God of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of what? Life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. You see that? The tree of life. It's the first time we see it since Genesis 3. But now it's different. Here, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. His servants will worship Him. They'll see His face and His name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. There will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. So did you catch that? Beginning of the Bible. Man made in God's image, perfect communion with God, then man separated from God. The rest of the book is all about bringing men and women back to God, in the image of God, now again in perfect communion with God. That's what the whole book is about. The purpose of the Bible is to bring people back to God, into the image of Christ. And I put a smattering of verses here that show this over and over again. The psalmist anticipates the day when he'll see God's face in righteousness. When I awake, I will be satisfied in your likeness. God has Romans eight twenty nine predestined for us, purpose for us to be conformed to the image of his Son. And one day we'll be glorified in that way. 20, uh, verse 30. Toward that end, we're will be we we're, we're being transformed, Second Corinthians 3.18, into the same image, the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. One day, Philippians 3.21, he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. This is a process. We're putting on Colossians 3.10, the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Second Peter 1, we've talked about uh, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness to the knowledge of him who called us into his own glory and excellence. Keep going by which is granted to us by his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the, from corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire 1 John 3 behold we're God's children now what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears we shall be like him we shall see him as he is this is the purpose of the Bible to make this a reality in our hearts So you've got some concentric circles in your notes, I think at this point on page 98, and I put this here just as a visual to think about how this works, how God's word works in you to transform you, me, into the image of Jesus, so when we're saved, when we trust in God's grace in Christ to save us from our sins, at that point, we receive a new heart. So put that word in the innermost circle, the heart of Christ, heart. So, in Christ, we have a new heart. We're a new creation. Almost like we've been born all over again. And this begins a process by which the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, begins transforming us more and more and more into the image of Christ. Sanctification starts with the heart of Christ in us, works out from there. He transforms our minds to be more like the mind of Christ. So, you might write mind in that next circle. Romans 12 talks about being transformed by the renewal of your mind. 1 Corinthians 2 says we have the mind of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10 talks about how we take every thought captive to obey Christ so the more we read the word under the leadership of the spirit the more we think like Christ the more we understand who God is, how God works, how God calls us to to live which then leads us to live differently next circle you might write it in the, the will of Christ the will of Christ, John 15 as we abide in Christ, his words abide in us he bears his fruit through us we learn to obey his commands as we do we learn to live in his love experience his joy and all that leads to the last circle so you got heart mind will and then right in that fourth circle the body of Christ so body I love this picture from Paul in Galatians 4 as he talks about the church these followers of Christ he talks about them like they're his children and he says it's like he's in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you that's that's the goal it's the goal of a pastor he's I want to see Christ formed in this people That's the goal of the Bible, to see Christ formed in us, to see our hearts transformed in a way that then changes, transforms our mind and our will and what we look like as the body of Christ. The Bible is sufficient to bring all of that about, to conform us in the image of Christ and to bring us in the step with the Spirit of Christ. So the more we become like Christ, the more we're in tune with the Spirit of Christ. So now, bring this back around to what we were talking about earlier. So no, the Bible, for example, is not a parenting how-to book. You know what, though? The Bible's something better. It is a book that is guaranteed, guaranteed by the Spirit of God to make you look more like Jesus the more you read it, guaranteed to bring you into step with the Holy Spirit the more you read it. And do you know what your children's greatest need in your life as a parent is? They need a parent who looks and thinks and acts and loves like Jesus. They need a parent who's walking in step with the Holy Spirit on a moment-by-moment, day-by-basis. That's their greatest need in you. And and no, the Bible's not a grief counseling how-to book. Instead, the Bible is something better. It's a book that's guaranteed to strengthen your heart with the everlasting, never-failing hope of Christ and help you every day walk in the strength of the Spirit of God, the comforter, the divine comforter who's promised to give you all the grace and strength you need for every emotion you feel and every heartache you experience. This is the purpose of the Bible, to save and sanctify us, to bring us into the image of Christ more and more and more in our lives, and that is our greatest need, and the Bible alone is sufficient to meet that need. So let me urge you, practical level, Before you go to the Christian bookstore, pick up all kinds of how-to books for this or that in the Christian life. I'm not saying those books are bad. Well, some of them are bad, but not all of them. But before you go there and you start filling your time reading this or that book about this or that issue, do not bypass the only book that is guaranteed to meet your greatest need. It is able to meet your greatest need. People say, I mean, why should I read Leviticus when I'm struggling with parenting in my life? What does Leviticus have for me? Well, here's what Leviticus has for you that no book in the Christian bookstore has. Leviticus has the power of God to transform you into the image of Christ. And your greatest need today, the greatest need you have in your life, the greatest need others around you have in your life is for you to think and act and live and love like Jesus. And Leviticus is inspired by God to make that a reality. So... That leads to the question then of how does the Bible accomplish that purpose? And according to 2 Timothy 3, the rest of Scripture, the Bible instructs us, teaches us, it it convicts us, number two there in the blanks, it convicts us, it pierces us, Hebrews 4 says. It helps us to avoid sin, Psalm 119, 10 and 11 says. I want to make an important note here, just a side note that I hope will be helpful for you. We identify, we need to identify as sin only that which the Bible explicitly or implicitly identifies as sin. So we've got to be careful not to call sin that which the Bible doesn't call sin. And just like we've talked about not adding to God's word, we need to be careful not to create rules and regulations beyond God's word and call not following those rules or regulations sin. There's a ton more we could talk about there. That might be a, another secret church. but So how does the Bible make it from what look, look more like Jesus? How does the Spirit do this? Through the word. He, it, the word instructs us, convicts us, it corrects us disciplines us in the words of Hebrews chapter 12. It trains us. I love how Titus 2 describes the way how God's grace trains us in godliness. And the Bible equips us for spiritual battle, Ephesians chapter 6. And then I love Hebrews chapter 12. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. This is what God has promised to do for you through his word. Equip you with everything good so that you may do his will. Which means, another important note here, we trust that everything required of us by God is explicitly or implicitly commanded in the Bible. In other words, everything God ultimately wants us to do, He has revealed to us. God has not left us in the dark concerning His will. One of the most common questions we ask in the church today is, how do I know God's will for my life? How do I find God's will for my life? And the good news is, God's will is not lost. You don't have to find it. God's given us everything we need to walk in it. I love Oswald Chambers said the Christian should never ask, how do I where's God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? He said, if you're walking through a forest, use an imagery. He said, you're walking through a forest, what's the only time you need to ask where the path is? When you're off the path. As long as you're walking in the path, you don't have to ask where the path is. So instead of just wondering what is God's will, walk in His will. Every day, do what He's revealed and He will lead, He will guide by His Spirit. And all this, the Bible is sufficient for our salvation, it's sufficient to bring us to faith in Christ, it's sufficient for our sanctification, sufficient to help us grow in Christ, and the Bible is sufficient for our satisfaction. Ah, oh, I love these verses. So just listen to how the Bible's talked about here. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers. but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on His law, He meditates day and night. It is your delight in the law of the Lord? Do you meditate on it like you love hearing it? Like I remember when uh, my wife over here, Heather, and I, when we were. Uh, dating, and I'd never had a girlfriend before, and she, uh, and that sounds noble whenever I say that, but I was just very socially awkward, and God, in his mercy, provided a girl who was attracted to my social awkwardness, and so, anyway, she was but I, I was new to the whole dating thing, and so she would, like, write me a letter, and talk about meditation. <laughs> I would just take that letter, and i just look at every word, like, dear Dear. And she said, dear David, like me, I'm dear to her. That's good. (laughs) Dear David. And I was, ah, it sounds so lame in front of this many people. Uh, but it's true. So and I would just when she put like a smiley face and be like, oh, what does that mean? Like smiley face, right there. Or and she's like, I'm praying for you. And it's like, ah, what does she mean? Like, I'm praying for you like I pray for a lot of people or like I'm praying for my future husband and you come to mind, and so I'm praying for you. (laughs) Anyway, it's just a and there's, oh, it's just delightful just meditating. Like, that's the picture here. You're just soaking it in. It's delight. And then think about that. This is so important. Let me just ask you the question. Is Bible study duty for you or is it delight? We've got to ask ourselves the question. This isn't intended to be duty as much as it's delight. And all the flows from that, like, I mean, keep going with that. So if I were to come home and I would come home from work one day and I just walk into the house and give my wife a big hug and a kiss on the lips and she's like, well, where'd that come from? What if I say, well, it says here in my how-to marriage book that it's advisable when you come home from work, like, to give your wife a hug and a kiss, so... It's kind of what I felt like should be appropriate in line of the book. Like, shh, what's going to happen? You're going to take the book and put it back in my face. Like, that's not. So, the, duty and delight are very different things. So, is it delight? God intends his word to be delightful. We read at the beginning, more to be desired are God's word is God's word than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. More by them is your servant sure word and keeping them is great reward. Listen to the psalmist. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will delight in your statues. I will not forget your word. Your testimonies are my delight. I find my delight in your commandments which I love. Your statues have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Oh, I love your law that's my meditation all the day. I love this one, verse 62 in Psalm 119. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. Oh, that's so good. Like you wake up in the morning, you just open up the word, and there's spoil just waiting for you, like treasure. It's just every day, and the next day is more treasure, and next day, and next day, and it's delight. So the Bible sufficient for our salvation, sanctification, and our satisfaction. Which means, so in light of the Bible's sufficiency in these ways, we must not and do not need to add anything to Scripture. And we must not and do not need to elevate anything to the authority of Scripture, which means we don't elevate teachers. We must always be careful never to unhelpfully elevate teachers over the word they teach. We don't elevate teachers, and we don't elevate traditions which if we're not careful, we're so quick to cling to. Jesus rebukes those, last part of the passage of Matthew 15, who for the sake of your tradition have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, "The people, this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me. In vain they do, do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. This is, and I've hit on it a couple times, this is a huge error in Roman Catholicism. The error of exalting human traditions to the staff of Scripture. Athanasius, well and vainly do they run about with the pretext that they have demanded councils for the faith's sake, for divine Scripture is sufficient above all things. And I put in your notes here official teaching from the Catholic Church, from the Council of Trent, in your notes where the Catholic Church clearly teaches that traditions are at the same level of the Old and New Testaments. You look down at the second quote right in the middle, following in the examples of the Orthodox Fathers, it receives and venerates with a feeling of piety and reverence all the books, both of the Old and New Testaments, since one God is the author of both, also the traditions. Whether they relate to faith or to morals as having been dictated either orally by Christ or by the Holy Ghost and preserved in the Catholic Church in unbroken succession. In other words, the Catholic Church is saying we need the traditions, the teachings of the Church as authoritative also in addition to the Old and New Testaments. And that's not true. In the words of J.I. Packer, Scripture can and does interpret itself to the faithful from within. Scripture is its own interpreter. uh, Some Latin, as Luther puts it. So, (laughs) not only does it not need popes or councils to tell us as from God what it means, it can actually challenge papal and conciliar pronouncements convince them of being ungodly and untrue, and require the faithful to part company with them. As Scripture was the only source from which sinners might gain true knowledge of God and godliness, so Scripture was the only judge of what the church had in each age ventured to say in her Lord's name. So this is not just a danger, though, in Roman Catholicism. Think about higher criticism, which lowers Scripture to the level of human tradition. So it basically says, oh, these are just average, everyday art documents with all kinds of falsehoods. John Calvin said, we owe to the scriptures the same reverence as we owe to God. Since so it says, it's only source in him and has nothing of human origin mixed with it. So don't miss this. Follow this. Whether it's Roman Catholicism that exalts tradition to the level of scripture or higher criticism that lowers scripture to the level of tradition, both have the same disastrous effect, minimizing the voice of God. Both have the same effect. This year, you may know, it's 500 year anniversary of the Reformation. So Lord willing, next week I'll be preaching in Germany, uh, and uh, taking a couple of my kids with me, and we're gonna just—I'm gonna show them some of the, some of the Reformation stuff. Somebody was giving me a hard time when I heard that. I was like, uh, "You're a great dad!" Like. Most people take, like, their 10- and 9-year-old to Disney World, and you're taking them to Wittenberg. Like, really? <laughs> like, I'm sure. Yeah. Bless kids. So anyway, I think they'll have a fun time. Uh, but we've been talking about, we've, we've walked through a book, told just stories of reformers, and our 6-year-old Mary Ruth said the other day, why do all these guys die? Uh, like, get burned at the stake, and this or that? And at least part of the answer is because they believed in the authority of the Bible. Packer sums it up. What Luther thus voiced at the of Worms, where he was tried shows the essential motivation concern theological and religious of the entire Reformation movement namely that the word of God alone must rule and no Christian dare do other than allow it to enthrone itself in its conscience, in his conscience and heart. This is critical. Francis Schaeffer said words that we need to hear a lot of the rise of megachurches around our country over the last 20-30 years there is no use of evangelical, evangelicalism seeming to get larger and larger if at the same time appreciable parts are getting soft at that which is the central core namely the scriptures. We must say most lovingly but clearly evangelicalism is not consistently evangelical unless there's a line drawn between those who take a full view of Scripture and those who do not. Holding to a strong view of Scripture or not holding to it is the watershed of the evangelical world. Most importantly in the words of God, Isaiah 66, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Listen to these words from God. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. We must not add anything to scripture. We must not elevate anything to the authority of scripture. Why not? Because the Bible is sufficient. Sure, any number of other books might be helpful, but ladies and gentlemen, mark it down. This is the only book we need. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at Radical.net.